0: Good morning. We're glad that you joined us today. And whether you're here on campus with us or you are at home uh, watching this um, online, um, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Johnny Caruso. I am the pastor of evangelism and local outreach at First Baptist Church. And for the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing some people fill in for Pastor Jeff. And so as people would probably um, say, yes, this is right. Um, I, it is my unquenching desire Uh, to see men and women and teenagers and boys and girls come to Christ and to step over that line from death to life. And so it wouldn't surprise anybody to know that we're going to talk about a story in the Bible that talks about that a lot, and that's the prodigal son. And most of us have known that story to be the story of the prodigal son, but really uh, it should be the story of the two sons and the loving father. Um, It draws more attention to the two sons, but the loving father about uh, what he did and how he acted towards his, his sons. So let's go ahead and and dive in. Uh, first of all, chapter 15 has actually three stories in it. Um, there is the story about the lost sheep where the owner of the sheep, the shepherd, goes off because one strays off and leaves 99 there and goes to find the one. And then when, let me read the scripture, it says in verse six and seven, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than uh, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so the real thing I want you to see and draw to is who's doing the celebration? Uh, who's throwing the party? The second story is the story of the lost coin. It's about a story about a woman who basically um, loses a very valuable coin and verse uh, nine and 10 says, and when she has found the coin, she calls her friends together and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, calling attention to the fact that there's going to be a party, there's going to be a celebration and who are the ones that are celebrating? And then the third story is the story that, people are probably most familiar with. And verse 23 says, and he brings the fatted calf and, and kills it and let us eat and celebrate. And the one who brings the fatted calf, of course, is the loving father in the story. And again, the celebration takes place. All three of the stories talking about something that was lost and then something that was found, something that was dead and now something that was alive. But one of the things that's real important when you study the scripture is to stay in the context uh, historically uh, of the story. And so we're, that's what we're going to dig into a little bit about the historical context of what the things meant uh, that were in the story. So first of all, to do that, um, we're going to see who the hearers of the story were. Verse one and two says, and now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, him being Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Um, Basically, the first person that is mentioned is the tax collector. And these tax collectors were people who had um, purchased franchise from the Roman government and were collecting taxes from the Jews and from their own people. And because of that, they were hated. But not only extracting money from uh, what the Romans wanted, but also taking extra money to make themselves rich in the things uh, that they had. The second people in the story are the sinners. Now, these people are the ones I think of myself as. Um, The people who are far away from the Lord. Uh, These are the prostitutes and the criminals, um, generally category. These were also the thugs that hung out with the tax collectors uh, that helped collect the money. Uh, The third people that are in the stories of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the people that dealt out shame and honor. And they lived in a shame and honor situation back then in a culture like that. And basically, they were the ones that gave the rules. Uh, they were the ones that were actually when it talked about them murmuring. Uh, that's that's them. And the thing that they were against Jesus was the very fact that he was hanging out with sinners, hanging not not hanging out with the religious people, but hanging out with sinners. And one of the things that they were actually really angry about um, was that Jesus uh, had called them vipers. He'd called them whitewashed graves with empty bones inside of them. Um, And so they were the ones that basically ruled the synagogue. And everybody that was Jew went to the synagogue. And the fourth person uh, that is in the story, that's listening to it, um, that Jesus is talking about are the scribes. And they were the scholars. They were the writers of the law that the Pharisees made. Um, So they were really close. They were the intelligent people. They were the philosophers um, and they wrote the law down that the Pharisees made. So knowing who the listeners are, let's go to the story. Um, the first point I want you to see is that uh, a, it's really a story about a younger son and sinful living. Um, now, um, you're going to, in my house, um, a lot of you know Trish, and in my house, um, she has beautiful big brown eyes. And I say things and she rolls her eyes a lot at me. Sometimes so much you can almost knock you down. And so we're going to see a a few statements in here that the Pharisees are rolling their eyes, um, exasperated, angry. Um, And so there is a Yiddish word that most of us probably have never pronounced, Um, but we're going to do that. And this is going to be kind of participatory this morning. And so uh, there are going to be a series of not just eye rolls, but there are going to be a series of vey's." And so, uweve basically expresses grief and pain and frustration and ex- uh, exasperation. And so, through the story, there's going to be a point where you can participate. So, I want you to practice. So, here's, where, here's your practice time. Say this, uweve, and shrug your shoulders, uweve. Now, you didn't do that at home, so go ahead and do it again, uweve. So, to start the story of this. Uh, section of scriptures, starts in verse 11 and 12. And it says this, he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property among them. So here's your part right here. Uweve, the very first Uve is this, the father was asked to share his property with his younger son. This never happened. Uh, never happened. The only time that happened is when the father died. And so basically what the younger saying is father, I wish you were dead. Um, me being Italian, he'd be swimming with the fishes. He would just be, you are dead to me. And so the younger son basically goes to him and kind of breaks the rules. Now I want you to understand this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are standing there going, what? He did what? At best, he would get a face slap in public and be humiliated. At worst, he would be stoned to death for doing what he did because he dishonored his father. Remember, they worked in an honor and shame system back then, mostly involving works. And then, here he is, number here's your chance again. Uy number two. When he, he, uh, and he divided his property between them. Not only did the father get the request, but he acted shameful by doing what he did with his property. He said, okay, I'll give it to you. Now, interesting enough in the system with the Jews back then, because there were two sons, the oldest son who was basically in charge of everything would have got two thirds of the property and the younger son would have got one third. So the father distributed one third of everything that he had to his son. And that means one third of everything uh, that he had. Um, Again, Pharisees and Sadducees are sitting there and scribes are sitting there saying, hold it. This is, how can a father do this? I know now why the son asked for what he asked for because it's shameful, because he is raised by a shameful father. Um, Here's your chance again. Uwe number three, uwe Verse 14 says, Not many days after the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So a couple things in this that I think really need to be explained a little bit more. Again, the property, he had one third of it. But in order for him to do what he did, it says he gathered all that he had. In order for him to do that, he had to find somebody that would buy the uh, estate that he got, the one third, that would not receive the estate until the father died. And so it's almost like get, uh, buying futures. And so not only that, the person who was buying it would buy it at a reduced price because of the simple fact that he needed the money now. He wanted his stuff now. And so he gathered all the stuff, he sold his estate to whoever would have uh, purchased it. And I think this is interesting because the tax collectors and the sinners in the crowd that are listening to this story right now, the irreligious, the rebellious, the immoral sinner, they really started to relate to this story. And that's why Jesus told those stories. So the listeners would hear with their ears, their spirit ears and hear and hopefully come to a saving knowledge of him. Um, verse 14 through 60s, and when he spent everything, a famine arose in the country. I want to stop right there. There are stories in the Old Testament and there are stories in history when famines hit countries and what people do when they do. I, they, they resort to some things that are unheard of. They even eat their young sometimes. There's histories of that happening. Um, it's just terrible, terrible, terrible. So a famine hit the country and he began to be in need. So he's to the point right now, the younger son, he's to the point where he is running out of all of his resources. And the next part in verse 15 says, and he went to hire himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Okay. We're not to the next Uyve yet, but we're almost there. I want to, you to understand when what he actually did. When he when he went to hire himself out, that actually the phrase in the Greek says he glued himself to this man. And so I don't know about you, but I played football in high school. And um, back then it wasn't like they have concussion concussion protocols like they do now. So I played football and I was a middle linebacker and I led with my head a lot. Um, And thusly I was knocked out several times. And they would break open the little ammonia thing and you'd smell it and you'd wake back up and you'd take a few minutes to kind of realize where you were at. And I remember if you got hurt, you usually didn't get to go back in the game. Well, I did what this young man did to the citizen of the country. I stood right next to the coach until he had to trip over me so I could be put back into the game. So I understand what it means to glue yourself to somebody to get what you needed. Now, remember... The next part of this verse says that he sent him out into the field to feed the pigs. So this is ueve number four. Oeve. Um If you were a Jew, you didn't mess with pigs because they were unclean animals. And there are many stories in the New Testament about situations. Now, just so that you'll be a little bit more informed, Leviticus 11, 7, 8 says this. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven, but does not chew cud, is unclean to you. And you shall not eat any of its flesh, nor touch their carcasses, for they are unclean. And one of the main things when it comes to worship for the Jewish people is that you had to be clean to go before the Lord. So not just sins confessed up like we would say today, but they had to be Clean physically, they had to be clean spiritually, they had to be uh, basically almost like the COVID, they had to be quarantined for a while to be able to get before the Lord and for the Lord to hear them. So basically, the owner of the animals would s- send the son in to feed the pigs and they would feed him what they uh, were pods. And these were actually, they're called carob pods, it came from a caro tree. Um, And I did a little bit of study on this, and it was very interesting. We actually have stuff in our pantry at home that comes from the caro tree. And um, caro syrup, some of you would, basically they boil it and they make molasses out of it. That's exactly what they were um, using back then to feed the pigs. But I don't know if you've ever seen pigs being fed. I I was kind of raised... near a boy's home. And I would go out and visit some of the kids out there when I was younger because they were friends at school and they fed the animals out there. And I remember now they didn't meet like they do now. They didn't have concrete slabs that the pigs were on. They were in dirt and in mud and they would throw the food in there and those pigs would go crazy and they would fight each other to get the food. So this young man who's not used to this kind of living, remember, is basically trying to fight these pigs for the food. Verse 16 says, and he longed to feed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. It's interesting that when you run out of resources, you run out of friends. That's basically how the world works. When you run out of things that you can give other people, they quickly disappear. Some of you not being raised as a Christ follower from a child would recognize those kind of things as you grew up. So the next thing I want to move to, and this is actually a break in the story because it kind of changes a little bit. Same character, the young man, but he moves to a place of brokenness and repentance. Um, We all are broken before Christ. We all live in a lost world. And this young man did also. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I shall rise and go to the Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So there's a lot of things in those verses right there that I want to break down for you. Number one. I think it's interesting that when he came to the end of himself, he remembered what happened to him in the past. He remembered that he had a father that loved him with all his heart. And he remembered how gracious and how um, generous he was because even the hired men, which he was actually being at the time, even the hired men, not only the hired men are basically day workers, and there's stories about day workers in the New Testament. And basically, they would get their pay that day. And there's actually a law in the Old Testament that you had to pay them on that day because that's how they fed their families. And that's how they fed themselves. And not only did they have enough money to buy bread, but they had enough money to buy more than they needed. And so, you know, the father was very, very, very generous. Um, The hired hand, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but we've been to a a lot of different countries. And there was always a section in the city where the men who wanted to work stayed, whether it was a corner or a grocery store or a quick mart or um, some kind of bodega there in in South America. And they would be there and they know the the construction people and the uh, people who own businesses do, that's where they were. And they would go and pick them up in the morning, hire them out for the day and come back and they would pay them. And so much like that, and the son basically starts this soliloquy of, of statements in his head and starts to talk to himself and actually starts to practice what he's going to tell his father when he comes to him because he's had enough. I remember, and I don't remember who said it, but I remember it was a, a statement that was from Popeye, the sailor man from the cartoon. And when he would have enough and Pluto would beat him up and all of oil would be tied up with ropes, he says, this is all I can stands, I can't stands no more. And that's exactly where the young man was. I can't do this any longer. I'm at the end of my rope. Um, he was destitute, he was living in a famine and he was dying of hunger. And um, so he basically gets up, doesn't have very much of anything because he's wor- working with the pigs and he starts to head home. Um, And when he heads home, he says this also in this scripture, which I think is really, really important. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And there's an Old Testament scripture in Ezra that basically speaks to that point. It says, oh God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to thee. My God, for for our iniquities have risen above the heads of, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. And basically what that's saying here is using the same words in the Greek here. It's talking about that I have sinned and my sin has been built up all the way to heaven to where now God recognizes me and recognizes my sin. And then all of a sudden, the father enters the picture, not just in thought, but also um, in, in person. Verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Great, great, great story. Great, great part of the story. But I, in my imagination, and I see cartoons a lot in my head when I read the scripture, see pictures and stuff. I can imagine the father sitting on the front porch, not a younger man, but probably an older man, sitting on the front porch in his rocking chair every day, just seeing if he could see his son on the road coming home, returning home. Now, I, this brings up some really, really tender spots even in my own heart. Um, some, of, some of you and, some, and I also um, have children that are wayward and they're not following Christ and they're living in a faraway from God in a far country. And every day I wake up in the morning and I pray that I could see my child coming home. And the scripture says, and while he was a long way off, so this older man probably had some pretty good eyesight because in my mind, I picture this there is the huge mansion or a huge house on top of the hill. And right below there is the village because that's usually what happened, the houses. I don't know if you ever saw Downton Abbey, but that's what they thought they, they were for. They thought that they were existed to basically hire people out in the city to serve them. And just like that, the house on the hill, the village down below, and somewhere past that is when the sun appears on the road. Now, this is another uive, so let's do this. Uive! So, several things happen here. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was a long way off, he felt compassion and he ran. Now, this is very interesting because rich people, noble people, royalty back then didn't run. In fact, there was laws about them running. And the reason why is when you ran, you basically had to hike up your long robe and your feet and your ankles and sometimes your legs showed. And that was total shameful. That was total disgrace. And so they didn't run. In fact, they even say that if, when, and during the sacrifices, when the blood ran deep, that the priest could not even pull up the robe so the blood wouldn't get on them, And so it was a place of, of shame and dishonor. And if the Pharisees and the scribes were standing on anything to listen to what Jesus was saying, by this time they've fallen off because this is total disgrace. This is total shame. And so why did he do this? And I have looked at this and looked at this and looked at this, and I compared the loving father to the heavenly father, and I've come to this conclusion. The reason he did it is so that he could run out of the house, run down the road, run through the village and meet the son to do what he did next. He embraced him. And basically the reason he did that is to save him from the shame and the disgrace and the dishonor and the mocking that he would have to take when he came into the city. Normally what would happen is a a son would rebel like that. If the son did come home, what he would do is he would come back and he would sit in in the town For three or four days, people throwing things at him, people cursing at him, people saying shameful things to him, um, insulting him. And then three or four days later, maybe, when the father felt good about what he was doing, he would allow the son to come back up to the house, and then he would allow the son to speak. And it doesn't mean that he would be reconciled. It just means he made an effort to be reconciled. He would then be hired out as a servant just like the the, the, uh, the father's servants in the story. And then if he would save enough money that would take decades and decades to do to repay the restitution for the, the estate that he had taken and wasted, then maybe the father would reconcile him back into the family. So he embraces him. Now, I don't know about you. Um, COVID, I've not embraced anybody but my wife. Um, and I'm getting pretty sick and tired of it. But bottom line is, he ran and I mean, he, the word ran here means sprinted and he sprinted and he grabbed a hold of his son and he embraced him. And it wasn't a little bro hug. OK, it wasn't one of those. It was an embrace. He grabbed a hold of him like he hadn't seen him in years, which is probably true. And then the next thing was even more disgraceful and yet it had some symbolism He started to kiss him and he didn't just kiss him on the cheek or kiss him on the side of the mouth or he kissed him on the forehead and on the head and on the ears and on the chin and on the cheek. He kissed him all over. And the reason why is the townspeople were watching this. And by him doing what he did, he was causing all the shame to come on the father himself rather than the son who was rebellious because the son was coming home. It's kind of like what Jesus did. The father did exactly what Jesus did. He came into the village. He ran the gauntlet to bear the shame and the slander and the mockery to throw his arms around him and kiss his son and reconcile him back to his, the family. It's pretty tender for me because I remember the days that I was the prodigal. I remember the days and the things that, that took place to bring me to the point of repentance. Repentance. Verse 20 says this and the son said to his father I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be your son and then the father does something that's even more unheard of he cuts his speech short something he had practiced all the way as he is traveling home he cut it short and the reason why is because basically the father had cut it short because of the simple fact that forgiveness is forgiveness grace is grace And once it's bestowed to you, it can't be taken back from you. Now, I know that's confusing for some people. I know that we are a people who think that we have to do things for God to love us. And that's just not true. If that were true, the gospel would be meaningless. If that were true, Jesus dying on the cross, it would have to be plus something. And it's plus nothing. It's just the simple fact that he died and reconciled us to his father while he died on the cross. And then we come to Uive number six. And basically it's the reconciliation and bottom line is they start to celebrate. Now this is kind of interesting uh, because this starts in verse 23 and 24. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring the ring and put it on his hand, the shoes and put it on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So he's got basically five elements of this celebration that he's talking about, how to reconcile and what to do. And the first one was the robe. Now, most families back then only had one robe and it was a beautiful, beautiful robe. And the only one that wore that robe was the father. Unless it was a wedding celebration, they may have put it on the groom, but basically just the father. And the father said, get the robe. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And put it on my son. And then the ring. Uh, Interesting, if you've seen any medieval um, movies, they always had a signet ring. And that ring was what they used to take wax and put it on a letter and seal it to know that it hadn't been opened, number one, and number two, to show its authority. And so the father took the ring off of his hand and put it on the son's hand, basically showing him that his authority was the same as the father's. And then the shoes. Now, back then, the only ones that wore shoes were people who had money. The servants, the day laborers, the people in town didn't usually wear shoes. And so the father says, go get a pair of shoes and put it on his feet. And then not the last part, but close to it, the fatted calf. Now, this is really interesting when I was studying this. The fatted calf, even rich families usually only had one. And it was saved for a wedding feast or for a huge family celebration that was going to take place. And they always had it planned ahead of time. And the father didn't even blink when he said, Go kill the fatted calf. And the very last thing is the thing that I, I like a lot. He said, Let's celebrate. And this is the same thing in all three stories. Somebody was celebrating. First, it was heaven, second, it was the angels. And in this story, the father is throwing the celebration. Um, Verse 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, again, I don't know where you're at spiritually this morning. I don't know where uh, you you are. I don't know if you are a, a, a saint bought by the blood of Christ. I don't know if you have made that decision in your life where you basically said, I've come to the end of myself and I've had enough. Or are you out there this morning and you're doing what we're going to be talking about in just a minute. You're coming to church because you're paying your dues. It's just what you do in South Carolina on Sunday morning, right? And even though it's weird, we're still doing it. And then all of a sudden, the older brother comes into the situation. Now, Uh, There are a lot of uh, discrepancies about who this older brother was and what he was and what he did and his spiritual condition. Um, But I'm going to tell you what I think about it. Um, And I have many people actually that agree with me and then some people don't agree with me. But basically verse 25 says, and now his older brother was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. Now, this only goes to the fact that the father must have had a huge estate because the, father, the brother was far enough off where he didn't hear the celebration. And so it says he was coming to the field. Now, he wasn't working. He, was, he had some sweet tea and he was under a tree drinking and telling other people what to do because that's what rich people did. In verse 25, at the end of that verse, in verse 26, and he came to the house and heard the music and the dance, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And so, bottom line, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know why they were throwing a party. But by the way, the party had already been happening. It wasn't like they had started right then. They had already killed the fatted calf. It took a while to cook the meat, and they had already been making merry and having a party. And about that time, I could see the face on the older son probably getting red, even though he had brown skin probably getting red because all of a sudden he's realizing his stuff has been used for the celebration. And let's face it, it was his stuff. The two thirds that are left was his stuff. Especially the next verse that says, and he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was the son, the brother, but he was angry and refused to go in. And the father came out and entreated him. This is so God." Basically, the older son's angry because his stuff is being used for the celebration. His worthless younger brother had come home and instead of getting the punishment, instead of trying to build re- reconciliation like the law said and the Pharisees said that he needed to do, the father went past that, put all the things on him, killed the fatted calf and they were throwing the party and all the older brothers could think was, what are you doing? Now about this time, the Pharisees and the, and the, and the scribes are basically going, this is our guy. This is the guy that we relate to. And I think it's always interesting in the parables, you always relate to some part of the parable. And so the, the, the now they didn't want to relate to the 99 that were left and didn't need any repentance in the first story, but they do relate to this guy. They're kind of going, yeah, it's about time someone with some sense came into the story. And so a couple of things here, the word safe and sound, when it's used there in verse 28, basically is a, a word that talks about, Uh, wellness and wholeness and completeness. And it's always associated with the word shalom. Now, most of you know the word shalom means peace. And so bottom line, what it's saying is that the son came home and the father received him whole in peace. And it's almost like um, many years ago in my life, I realized what the sovereignty of God was. That means he's in control of everything. And once I realized that, I didn't have to worry about anything anymore because I knew he was in control. The things that were happening in my life was brought into my life because he wanted me to be perfected to be more like him. And so verse 28 says again, but he was angry and refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him. So here's here's the picture. The son goes out and he's all puffed up and he's angry and he's probably, I don't know if he's throwing things, but I would be throwing things. He's upset. And the father comes out because he realizes he's there and the father begs him to come into the celebration. Now, the thing I told you about that I believe that a lot of people don't is I believe the older son was lost. I believe he didn't have a relationship with the father. If he had had a relationship with the father, the minute the younger son showed up, he not only would have did all those things that he did for the younger son, but he would have sent somebody to the field to get the older brother. So the older, And when the older brother came, he would run into the house and he would embrace his father and embrace his younger brother. But I don't think he had a relationship. And he kind of proves that in the next scripture, next, verse 29. And he answered his father, "'Look, these many years I have served you "'and I have never uh, disobeyed your command.'" And you have never given me a a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. So stop right there. So we're talking about celebrating with the fatted calf with the whole town and with the father and with the family. And all he can think think about is, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Nothing to do with the family whatsoever. And then he goes on to say, but when this son of yours came home who had devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fatted calf for him. And the older son's basically saying, how can you be so shameful? Do you not understand what we believe? Do you not understand what the law is? Because you've gone, everything you've done has gone against it. So verse 31 and 32 says, and he said to them, son, you have always been with me and all That is mine is yours. I want to stop right there because uh, I had a conversation the other day about that that point proved that the son had a relationship with the father, but he didn't. Bottom line is the father was just following through with tradition. Everything that the father had that was left was going to be the older sons. And I can't imagine being a father. I have three daughters. I don't have any sons, but I cannot imagine not having a relationship with your children. And yet somewhere along the line in this story, that's what happened. And that's what the Pharisees are hearing. That's unheard of. And I think it's also interesting. Some of us have wayward children that were obedient, that were close to us, that did everything they did in high school. And then after they graduated high school, they went to college, something went wrong. Something went haywire. What in the world is going on with this child? My child, my blood, what's going on? That's what this story is about. So he says, basically, you've been with me all the time. Everything I had was yours. And I love this. It was only fitting. It was only right to celebrate and be glad for your brother uh, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost anything valuable. Um, actually, I misplace things all the time. Can't remember where I put them. And when I find them, I just praise the Lord that I found them. Even if it's not important, I still praise the Lord that I found him. And I can't imagine a child coming home and doing what the younger son did. But then I certainly can't understand an older child who stayed with the father all the time and still had no relationship with him. And yet he answers, the father answers the younger, the older child by saying, it was only right that we act this way. It was only fitting. We are to be glad for your brother was dead and now he's alive. And by the way, the word dead there talks about there was a funeral. So when the younger son walked off, they had a funeral. And so basically this is a resurrection, great picture. And now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. It's only right that we act this way. Let's pray. Father, just uh, so many things going through my head right now. But first of all, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read your word, hear your word, study your word, and know exactly what your mind is in this situation. Now, the story here today was for basically two different kinds of people. Those who show their rebellion and show their immorality and come home. And those of us who stick around the church and basically look religious, do religious things but we also know that works is not a part of salvation. And so, Lord, as we go today, there's a lot of things to pray about. We can pray about the COVID. We can pray about uh, our families. We can pray about each other. Most of all, I want us to understand who we are personally. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point, usually in the sermon, Pastor Jeff has several next steps uh, that he goes to. Um. My next steps for us today is a little bit different. Uh, Basically, they look like two questions. Question number one, do you relate with the younger son who came to the end of himself, the end of his provisions, the end of his friends realizing that he needed help from a heavenly father to reconcile himself to God, a changed life? Or number two, do you relate with the older brother who who stuck around the house Number two, do you relate with the older brother who stuck around the house, was obedient, did all the right things, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, but had no relationship with the father? So which one of these do you relate to the best? Just remember we have a loving heavenly father who wants to reconcile himself. He don't want to reconcile himself, does he? (laughs) (laughs) So which one of these brothers do you relate with? Just remember, we have a loving heavenly father that wants to reconcile us to himself so that we could live in his forever family. Want to thank you for joining us today. Just continue to pray for the situation that we're in. Just remember, God is sovereign. God has a plan. Whether we know what the plan is or not, he still has a plan. Have a great day.